Welcome to the Reminger Report podcast on emerging technologies. Reminger Co. LPA is a full-service law firm with over 150 lawyers spread across 14 offices and serving states throughout the Midwest. My name is Zach Pyers, and I'm a partner in Reminger's Columbus, Ohio office. And I'm Kenton Steele, an associate in Reminger's Columbus office. This podcast on emerging technologies will examine how changes in technology and business models affect our daily lives and how the law is adapting to respond to these changes. Thank you for joining us for the second installment of our interview with John Kinkoff from the Howden Shield Agency, where we continue our discussion about how emerging technologies are impacting insurance agents and their businesses. I know that one of the other kind of areas in emerging technologies, or we'll call it the gig economy, that I think that a lot of average customers or consumers may participate is Airbnb. And I'm curious to know, you know, from a um, from an insurance agent's perspective, you know, what um, you know, what are you seeing, or how are you addressing maybe some of the gaps in coverage that people may have um, if they decide, hey, I'm going to go away for the weekend. I'm going to list my house, my condo, my farm, my you know, cabin on Airbnb. You're an attorney, Zach, right? I am. Do you ever go through some of life experiences and think kind of in third person, this doesn't look like this is a good idea or <laughs> this might not end well, right? Yeah, I, occasionally. Uh, <laughs> we had an Airbnb. Uh, we, we rented an Airbnb. Um, uh, up in Michigan, and my insurance brain was on the entire time. Just thinking about it was great experience. I had a ball. I would do it again. The property was fantastic, but just like pictures on a wall, stuff in a refrigerator, water leaks, all these types of things that happen in normal day to day life that remain. You know, when you have a vacation rental, which is a little bit different, most of your stuff is sealed. Your valuable stuff is sealed in, in like a a locked storage area. You know, most of these Airbnbs, it's pretty much, we're gone for three days, kids, let's go. And everything remains as it is. So you see a lot of things. Um, the biggest is if any property is damaged, there's two kinds of damage. Let me, let me say this. There's two kinds of coverage with Airbnb. There's the, the host protection program and the host guarantee program. The host protection program um, basically says, uh, I may have this slip, one of them says you've got liability coverage in case somebody gets hurt from the time they check in and check out and they sue you as a third-party renter. The other one says, and I think it's the host protection, uh, it says that we'll fix your property or your contents if they get damaged during the rental process. Well, on the property side, the biggest problem that I saw is almost all homeowners are insured on a replacement cost basis an overwhelming number. So that means cost to repair minus your deductible, it's getting fixed. From everything that I've read and seen Airbnb, I believe all of their settlements are actually cash value. So that means cost to replace minus some depreciation, minus a deductible, and you're getting arguably 40 to 60% of proceeds to solve your claim problem. And my guess is if it's gone to the place where it's going to be this kind of claim, it's probably pretty big damage. And that's not a fun space to be in. So things like roofs, things like windows, things like um, carpet, all these types of things, if they get damaged, you're not, 
in my opinion, you're not going to be made whole with the actual cash value process. That's a big, a big error, a big gap I see. Um, and we see in our part of the world, we see a fair amount of um, uh, between septic and sewer and some of these microbursts of rain. We're seeing some water back up from the cities not being able to take the rainfall quite as much or septics again getting a little bit too much and you get some water backup, which isn't automatically covered on a policy, has to be endorsed on. It's on, I would guess, 75% of policies that exist today. That coverage doesn't exist on the R&D platform. And some of the other stuff that we talked about, cyber coverage, for the breakdown, those those coverages don't exist on the Airbnb platform, and your deductible uh, might be dramatically different on the Airbnb platform than it could be um, on, on your own policy. One thing I wasn't, I'm not sure of, because I see this a fair amount, and I've asked all of our hosts that we ensure to make sure they're verifying with Airbnb is if you have an LLC or you have a trust that is an ownership of that particular property is the liability being extended to you as the host individually and to the owner, the, the, the trust of the LLC, or is it just being, because you, you as a person are the host of that, that property. And I haven't seen conclusive information indicate that you can get that. I haven't seen that doesn't happen, but I haven't seen where I'm not, I'm not aware of how that process works to make sure the trust or the LLC is added correctly. Now, let me ask you when, when you are going to secure insurance or, or helping a client secure insurance, is this something that you see where you're having this discussion with the client up front? Are you renting this home through Airbnb or VRBO or one of the other services? And if so, you know, as you're having these conversations, how have you seen the different carriers kind of approach the coverage? Um, so it's it's a much at least it's a much different field to the extent that you have two kinds of risks in the Airbnb platform. You have I have a rental dwelling that would traditionally be rented on a, on a yearly basis or at least on an annual basis, collecting monthly rent. And you have my own home, which I would normally be owner occupied. In both spaces, we've been able to find coverage, but it's a very discriminating underwriting process that folks have got to go through. Um, so if you've got a pool or pond on your process, on your property, whether it's home or rental, um, Generally, I can't get, I can't find coverage for that on the Airbnb platform. If you're in an unusually unique building, um, probably not going to get there. In other words, if you've got a ton of bedrooms and a ton of floors, um, most of my carers are going to walk away from that because they want to see maybe that one family, two family platform, and that would be their limit. Um, it doesn't always make sense to me because in my mind, one of the, best parts about Airbnb, my insurance brain is that host is in there before the, the renter comes and they're in there immediately after the renter comes and they're cleaning up. So you get a pretty good sense of what's going on. And, and by the way, they're also rated online. So if you've got a bad renter, you, you may know that, be able to pick that up ahead of time. Or if you've got a bad, if you're the, the host and you're a bad host, that gets picked up in time and you would think 
that would be a lot of helpful information for an underwriter to discern risk levels. Um, but I think the intangible is you never know who's going to show up in that building. It's harder to predict scares underwriters. And when you have an uncertain underwriter, that means they're not going to write. There's a lot of certainty. At least with your agency, are, are you seeing, I mean, are you seeing more Airbnbs versus ride sharing? Are you seeing more of your, your clients, you know, looking for ride sharing coverage versus, um, you know, Airbnb coverage? Kind of what proportions are you seeing? Kenton and I actually just did, uh, we recorded this morning, um, a, a webinar for the Defense Research Institute where we talked about people's participation in the gig economy. And honestly, they, what we see historically speaking is just that there's a there's been a huge boom in the participation in the gig economy and so we're curious just from you know your anecdotal experience you know in your agency which, which do you see more participation of kind of in those regards um, I'll give you two anecdotal experiences one is we talked about the wonderful Mohican State Park which is where uh, pretty near one of our offices yes um, you can imagine that there's some beautiful vistas, there's some wonderfully secluded areas, which would make wonderful marketing and wonderful opportunities for an Airbnb. But nobody in their right mind is going to be doing ride sharing where there's two people per five square miles, right? That <laughs> just it doesn't make any sense. And then, uh, so we see a tremendous amount of Airbnb. In fact, um, that. I, I'm really anxious to see with some of these small towns that do have beautiful country and do have, um, so in the Longville area, they've got a lot of canoeing and they've got some restaurants. And so it's really been a way to, I think, enjoy that area a little bit more unique for the tour uh, tourist. And it allows folks to have a little bit different experience. And you don't have to have this huge investment of a 40-unit hotel or this kind of thing. So more folks are getting some nicer um some of these places are just outfitted tremendously. They're doing some unique things that I'm not sure I would do. Um, like tree houses. I don't know if you've seen, I've heard about that. Or I have. Yep. Uh, that's, that ain't my gig, but uh, <laughs> they're doing some of that real neat stuff that way. Um, I will tell you in your hometown, I'm aware of, I'm going to say one person that does ride sharing. Um, and it's you, that because it's only Lyft, uh, excuse me, I don't, and, it may or may not exist. I mean, it, it just you turn on the app and you may have a ride that night or you may not. But yeah. to my understanding, it's literally one person that does it. I, <laughs> I have been in some – I have been in other rural areas of the state of Ohio uh, and West Virginia for that matter where I've been in situations where I've turned on one of the apps for a ride share. And, and somebody at a hotel will say, oh, yeah, you know, you know Bob drives for – fill in the name he might be driving tonight he might not so i i, I totally understand understanding so we see the, the short answer is we see a ton of airbnbs and they're they've been really successful we, we have seen that you know i, I mean and this is a little bit off topic but i think you raise a great point is that i i think that for places like loudonville which you mentioned and we see this um i read a piece recently um about the New River Gorge down in West Virginia, which was recently designated as a national park, that they're seeing a boom in the Airbnb industry down there and similar, you know, other platforms as well. But 
instead of you know building like you said a forty unit hotel or motel, and sometimes that's not the experience people are looking for either. Right. Um, right. They'd rather stay in a more remote cabin or some or a house. Um, but you're starting to see a boom in the tourism industry, and and also. As we kind of are coming out of the pandemic, I think people are anxious to travel as well. So I, I think that the, you know the Airbnbs um, and similar platforms help to fill that niche, but also help to increase kind of economic to help to increase economic development in some of these areas, which I think is a wonderful thing. I hundred percent. I mean, I, I've seen that. I don't know, one hundred twenty-five dollars might be your average hotel cost in these parts, and I'm seeing Airbnbs going for. 200 250 $300 a night. You know, it's, it's a one unit or one family type of situation. So they're definitely, people are definitely willing to pay a premium for, for this, this opportunity. That, yeah. That's very clear to me. Now, um, I'd love to talk kind of a little bit about how some of the other areas of technology and how they may be changing your business. Now, one of the things that I, I know we've seen, and I think probably anybody who's watched any television has seen commercials that relate to apps that are tracking um, your driving and trying to you know figure out your usage and if you brake too hard or you speed too much or you know you're you're traveling too quickly. Have you seen? Um, well, what have you seen from, from your clients? Is this a technology that they're excited to adopt or, or no? So, again, kind of in preparation for this, I'll tell you from my agency experience, very little, I'm going to say nil. We might have one or two of these data trackers, you know, telematics is what they're called in our industry, in coverage. Um, the insurance companies tried to induce folks to giving them their data for a, a, a you know, reduction in the premium. Um, so we see very little. And it's hard for me, and it's hard for me to recommend it. We talk about it, but I, it's hard for me to recommend because I wouldn't buy it. I don't, I'm not a fan of that. So it, some of that might be driven by my own personal thoughts. So I kind of went up a level and I talked to an underwriter and one of our uh, bigger carriers and ask them about the uptake that they see. And she would tell me that, or she told me that she sees very little to nil, and she's got, let's say, 14 different territories that she underwrites for. She said something to the extent of she sees a thousand apps, she might see three with that kind of um, the, the telematic app discount on it. So it's, it's, I don't think in our part of the world, and in other parts, the meaning country, the rural parts of Ohio, I don't think this is catching on. And I don't think the carriers have given enough of a financial incentive for folks to jump on. That's interesting. I, I wonder, um, I just wonder whether, um, you know, even if there is a financial incentive, how much of a financial incentive would it have to be in order to entice somebody to participate? Well, I mean, I think folks recognize that this is, it's a great ad campaign, don't get me wrong, just pay per use, right? Sure. But it isn't just about, I don't drive many miles. It's also, like you said, it's heartbreaking, it's hard acceleration, time of day, length of trip, 
all of those types of things come into to account. And I mean, the whole reality of why there's a lot of accidents is we're not necessarily very good drivers. <laughs> I mean, the, the, uh. the, there is a lot of claims. There's a lot of deer that that's still going to happen. I don't know how they telematic a deer, right? Right. Um, so that's, I, I just, I don't think that the small window that truly benefits from it. And it's a real small underwriting kind of sweet spot. They do generally get a decent amount of incentive, but it's a very select small group. Yeah. Now, one of the things, you know, along those same lines relates to data. And we know that insurance companies um, are, are collecting a lar large amount of data, whether it's those 40 to 60 uh, points that they're collecting in the underwriting process about you or, or the risk that they're undertaking when they write the policy for you, whether they're getting it through these, you know, apps uh, that's tracking your usage, the telematics. Or other regards, have you have you seen or heard of unique situations where insurance carriers are are acquiring this data in in other means? So uh, one of our carriers, one of their um, renewal factors is miles driven. Okay, and you think, okay, well that's interesting, but I never see that they've asked the insured how many miles you drive. It is in the survey that goes out. And what, on kind of more question, what I came to learn was they were using a vendor that was dealing with uh, quick lubes, if you will, or, or oil change franchises. I don't know the name of the one called quick lubes generically. And every time you go in and get oil change, the first thing they do is how many miles on the car. And it's information they use to make sure they can let you know when you've done your five or eight or 3,000 miles. Hey, it's time to come see us again. Well, they're selling that mileage data and somehow carriers can buy that mileage data so if you're a regular person that gets your oil change and you're a good citizen you do it on a regular basis at the same place that information is getting found out into this particular carrier they're picking it up and it goes into renewal got it so so there so the situation you're describing we've you've actually got carriers who are acquiring the information from outside third-party vendors yeah it is a third-party yeah. vendor Absolutely. Yeah. The carrier's not doing, and I'm not sure how that agreement works. I would guess, and you might know more about it, I guess somewhere in the fine print it might tell you when you agree to pay your $30 for your stop that uh, I'm, I'm okay if they share my mileage with folks, right? Sure. Well, I mean, I know that I know that there are several companies that even when I service my car, um, I'll get notifications via email from somebody that says, hey, your last oil change was on X date. You're up for another – we expect or anticipate that you're up for another oil change on Y date. Um, so I know that, that that type of data is out there um, and well, is being utilized. Do you see – have you seen or heard about the applications for phones – um, I know this to be true with a particular brand of automaker. Uh, your left front tire is five pounds low on air. I mean, it's telling you in your app. Yeah. It's not only a light anymore on your dashboard. It's telling you on your app. It's telling you where it is. It's telling you how light it is. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. just so clearly they've got all the data about your vehicle. Sure. That they need. And, I, and to some extent, I appreciate that because they you, I have a, in terms of that telematic, if you will, I feel safer knowing that they can tell me when my car is going to break down so I can fix it before it does. Absolutely. 
Um, but it's the same thing. Right. It's exactly the same thing. Right. Now, I, I know that you and I had talked previously about GPS as a technology um, and GPS being used. Can you, do you have any examples that you might be able to share of, of GPS that you've seen used um, in the industry? Um, I do. This one was two weeks ago, um, Zach, and it was, it was a great outcome. It was kind of an awkward situation. Um, I was going to a, uh, a golfing fundraiser, and one of my insurers was a contractor, kind of switched each other for, you know, the driving range or whatever. Let's me know he's just on uh, that skid steer store. And uh, I'm like, okay. So while he's there, I get my phone going. We get his information. We report the claim immediately to the carrier. Okay. And, and the good news is this is winter equipment, so it isn't something essential he needed that day. Okay. Um, at the turn, Golf the tournament between hole nine and ten. I ran into him again, and he let me know that the manufacturer was made aware of the theft. And although he knew with a GPS software that he bought with the skidster, he knew it left this. He knew where it was. He knew what state it was in, and perhaps what city. And that was about as close as he could get. When he made the manufacturer aware, and I'm not sure I know all of the technology behind this. They did some next level thing. They precisely provided the address to where this thing was. And um, by the time we finished our 18 holes, the skid steer was recovered intact. And the, the person responsible for the theft was in jail. And all of it was because they knew exactly where that GPS, because of the GPS, they knew exactly, I mean, precisely where that piece of equipment you know, that's uh, not only is that amazing technology, but that's an amazing result at a way that we see this technology. I mean, GPS has been around for, you know, a while now, needless mm -hmm. to say. And, you know, and we've seen it utilized more and more and how we drive our vehicles and how we get from point A to point B. But, you know, it's, what a wonderful outcome to be able to have that, you know, property returned uh, and, you know, a crime stopped um, in that short of time. Because, uh, oftentimes, we, you know, you'd hear stories about equipment like this being stolen, and they say, sorry, report it to your carrier. Good luck. Right. Right. I, I think this is a win. I imagine that GPS software costs a little bit more on, you know, tacked on the cost of the, of the, of the equipment. Um, but if it had been lost, that insured would have had a deductible, right? Um, and the insurance company would have paid. Let's make up a number, twenty, thirty thousand dollars for that piece of equipment. And unfortunately, the way insurance works is the cost of that claim is going to get spread over all the folks that are insured in that industry by that carrier. So the fact that it was recovered means insurance companies have to spend all that money. Our insured did not spend as deductible, and the bad guys were apprehended. So to some extent, it worked out like it should, and it right. saves there's the, the legitimate savings there as well. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Now, let me ask you kind of as we close out, uh, as an insurance agent, is, is there anything that's kind of keeping you up at night? Um, you know, as we talk about the technologies and just kind of how there's been, you know, a, a kind of a accelerated societal change over the last year coming out of the pandemic and, and kind of what are you guys doing to kind of adjust to some of these things and uh, just to address them and deal with them? 
Well, let me say this first, because it has nothing to do with what you asked me, but what keeps me up at night is four-wheelers because they're an insurance nightmare and they're all over the place and they've got great equipment. They go real fast and it's just a nightmare in our industry. Having said that, yeah, absolutely. What, you, what, you're, what you're asking about is so... I don't know what your life is like in terms of the service side, Zach, but it's really hard to know. We've got a variety of folks that are on different spectrums of how they want to communicate. They're good with mail. They're good with email. They're good with texting. They're good with voicemails. That seems to be kind of a normal minimum gambit. Um, but the other day, uh, somebody DM'd me on Facebook. <laughs> I mean, I'm barely on it. I'm on it, but I'm not on it. For, and I see this thing, this indication. I'm like, well, what is this? And somebody's asking me policy questions and payment questions for their insurance companies. I'm like, I don't know. I, 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 we got them taken care of. But how do I monitor that space as well on a real basis? Sure. To make sure I'm giving a good customer experience. I'm not saying it's wrong or bad. I just I wasn't prepared and I don't track that. Right. But that's what that particular customer wanted. Um, and and when COVID started. This was really unique for us. Again, small town. Um, so we, we at least usually talk to our folks before we do business with them. But there had been a handful of folks because COVID had arrived and was prevalent. Didn't visit, didn't talk, just had to conduct business. So I sold a handful of policies last March and April. I never actually heard a voice. I actually never saw a face. Everything was done through email and text. And with technology, it's all, I mean, you can get documented that, the e-signature situations you can get right. um, with the amount of data that you can protect and send, you know, in terms of policy information to get that encrypted and protected. I felt very comfortable and very safe, and I feel like we were doing it, but uh, the right way. But it was just so impersonal. Sure, you know, and that was the part. So I'm just trying to understand how folks want that service level and how we can respond best and track that. Um, now, I'll still tell you, so I got somebody who DM'd me on Facebook. We still have folks who try to come in once a month and pay their premiums in cash. And we finally used COVID as an excuse why we can no longer do that. So there's just a whole spectrum of folks. And it's, it's, it's good, and we appreciate the communication, but it makes it much harder. It keeps me up at night. Are we, are we tracking all that? Are we seeing all that? Are we logging all of that? So if something goes sideways, what's our best method? To recall how that conversation went. So that's the biggest challenge we have on the customer service side. Sure. I appreciate that. John, that's uh, that's all the questions we've got for you today. I just wanted to thank you again for taking the time to sit down with us and kind of discuss these issues and, you know, how technology is changing, you know, how you see the insurance industry and, and how it changes how your agency is doing business. So once again, thank you. We appreciate it. Thank you, Zach. Appreciate the opportunity.